when that slowly I got used to it or whatever, that emptiness really started to creep in. I was like, you know, what am I doing? You know, like baseball, like, whoa, what, what happened? Like you start regretting, like, oh, why did I do it then? Or whatever. And I just got tired of that. Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's interview series from Phenom to the Farm, where we're talking to former professional baseball players to reminisce about their playing days and what they learned in their journey from amateur ball to the professional ranks. I'm your host, Kyle Bandujo. Today, we're joined by former Giants farmhand, content creator, and self-proclaimed king of JUCO, Eric Sim. If you're familiar with Eric Sim and his content, this probably won't be a surprise to you, but if you're unfamiliar with Eric, I'm warning you right now, this might not be the episode to listen to with kids in the car. Eric loves to swear. I almost admire that he made it about a minute and a half without letting something go. So again, this podcast is explicit because of language, but I have to say this is truly one of my favorite episodes. Eric was very candid about his unique baseball journey. He talks about immigrating from South Korea to Canada as a child and adjusting to a different baseball culture while not being able to speak the same language as the other kids. Obviously, we talk Juco and why he champions Juco baseball. Eric goes into the jump to D1, what's it like opening your career against the number one team in the country, and then goes into his time as a non-prospect minor leaguer and how that really ended up kind of sucking the joy out of baseball for him. What I find really interesting and genuine about Eric is how he brought baseball back into his life after he was done playing. If you check out his content, you know this, but Eric plays and trains for baseball just for fun. I equate it to how some people play golf. He lives his days trying to swing faster and throw harder and having a lot more fun doing it than when he was playing professionally. Really interesting look at baseball beyond the organized game from Eric. Fun episode. Hope everyone enjoys it. Just again, please don't listen with small children in the car. Episodes from Phenom to the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts if you are enjoying the show. Also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. We're about to get into the college baseball postseason, and the prospect hot sheet is back. Minor league baseball is back. It's just a great time to be subscribed to Baseball America. For future guest demo of this podcast, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Banduho. But for now, let's talk to Eric Sim. All right, joining in for today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm, he was a 27th round pick by the Giants in 2010 out of USF. He is the king of JUCO, Eric Sim. Eric, thanks so much for joining From Phenom to the Farm. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Of course. Uh, Eric, before we get going, you do all the content in the world. Tell the listeners where they can find you on social media, where they can check out what you've been up to. Uh, I'm, if you guys want, you guys can freaking find me. Like, uh, You'll find a way. But uh, the tag is king of JUCO on Twitter. And then I do Instagram and all that stuff at ESIM3400. I also make YouTube videos. I'm a YouTuber now, so... Um, you can search me at Eric Sim as well. And it is uh, a lot of baseball content, a lot of just throwing content in general, throwing baseballs, throwing large pieces of fruit, That's um, right. <laughs> a bunch of stuff. Um, okay, so let's let's take it back to to pre-King of Juco. Uh, you're born in, in South Korea. Um, right. Something I think the pandemic taught us is that South Korea has an awesome culture around baseball and having fun with baseball. It's much like seemingly every other nation that isn't the USA, apparently. Yeah. Uh, what was baseball like for you growing up in South Korea before you and your family moved to Canada? Um, yeah, again, it's, the culture is different. Um, and, and the way you play and the way you grow up playing is, is a hell of a lot different than what people are used to here. Uh, for example, like um, over there, like I grew up playing um, like Little League baseball and all that shit. And 
like you get beat up, man. Like it was, it's like it's, it's hard for me to say it. Like you, you literally fucking get beat up sometimes, and it happens every day. Like really. Um, so whenever you make a mistake or whatever, um, let's say we're taking infield, right? And then uh, a left fielder makes a mistake. Coach will call him over. You got to run all the way, like sprint from left field to the coach. And he, like, you get in the push-up push position, and then he literally just beats the shit out of you with a fungo a couple of times, and you go back to your position. And, and then again, like, it sounds crazy to, to everyone listening, I'm sure, but for me, it was like the norm, you know? And over there, uh, again, different culture, coaches were like treated like gods and stuff like that. And and that's just how it was. And I, I didn't even go to school, man. Like, it was, it was fucking insane. Like, fucking, when you're doing, when you're, if you're playing baseball or any, uh, any type of sports, really, if you take it serious over there, um, you really, like, devote your entire day, every single day for that and nothing else. So I'll literally show up to school, do an attendance check, and start practicing. <laughs> you know, we have high school teams and, and middle league teams, and you literally go start practicing, and you practice all day type stuff. So um, that's what I grew up doing. So and how old were you when you moved to Canada? I moved when I was 13. So I grew up um, playing in South Korea from my age of eight, that's when I started playing until age of 13. And you didn't speak any, any English when you moved, right? No, no, I spoke zero. Like I said, I didn't fucking go to school. So it's like, <laughs> uh, like I didn't learn anything, you know, like I was, I was just a dumb kid. And then like, I, all I knew was hi and bye and yes and no, that's basically all I knew. And, and when I, when I moved to Canada, I moved to Canada when I was 13 and that was a, obviously a huge culture change. And that's something I had to get used to. So with the Canadian baseball culture, because I mean, I'm sure there were a million other cultural things you had to adjust to and assimilate with, with Canadian baseball culture, how did that blend with what, how you had grown up playing already in South Korea? Like, did you have to make a lot of adjustments with how you went about the game, how you enjoyed the game, stuff like that? How did, how did you fit in with what you brought? Yeah, it, it, again, in Korea, with that culture like that, and it's kind of hard to enjoy the sport. You know, like, obviously, like, I started playing, like, I loved it and all that. But it, because it gets so strict and serious right away, it was it was tough. It was tough for me to actually enjoy the sport. But, again, like, the, the culture and everyone does it. It's not like you're the only one. Like, all the other kids are going through the same shit, so you kind of have to deal with it. And then um, when I moved to Canada, I was just like, holy shit, you know, like, we're doing, like, an hour and a half practice. And coaches are giving you high five. I still remember that forever. I'm going to remember this forever. I remember my first practice in Canada. I didn't speak any English, but my mom somehow got me into uh, a, bit, a local baseball team. And, and we practiced for like an hour, if that, mostly fucking around, you know. And then, uh, um, and yeah, I still remember I did something like, I just like, just like a random, like a routine thing to, to me at the time. And he's like, good job. And give me a high five. I was like, what the fuck just happened? You know, just like, what, uh, why, why is he so happy that, that I just made this routine play? You know, I, I had to make this in Korea, you know, like if I don't make it, like I'm getting beat up, you know what I'm saying? Like, so it was like a huge culture shock to me. And, and obviously that's, I think that's when I started loving the sport, I guess. Um, and, and, and I enjoyed it. It's a little more fun when you're, when the, the people around you are having fun as well. <laughs> exactly. So with um when you get into high school what is what is Canadian high school baseball culture like and like here like I am I grew up in Texas and then there's the whole travel ball culture in Texas high school sports which right. everyone just cares way too much about everything of what course. is what is the the high school baseball culture in Canada and then what are kids 
What like what are you and your high school teammates? Are you talking? You know, are you getting into high school talking about? Oh, I want to go play in college. I want to do this stuff. Or is it like this is just this thing we do for fun sometimes? Uh, yeah, it's it, it's a little bit different than travel ball and stuff like that. Here again, it gets pretty hectic over here, and I've heard some stories and stuff like that. But over there, like again, this is back in the day too. This is fifteen years ago, so we didn't have a whole lot of. Um, so we do, we still don't have high school baseball teams in Canada. We have club teams, right? So because. Every high school, like over here, like you have what, like tens of hundred kids playing baseball, but literally at my high school in Canada back then, we had three kids playing baseball, you know, so it's just like, you don't, you can't have a high school baseball team. It was more of a, like a club baseball team, like you represent the city or whatever. So I was, I was from a, a small city called uh, Abbotsford and I'll play for the team Abbotsford Cardinals, which was like the team, um, like a, it's kind of like a travel ball, but not really. It's more like, um, it's like a local high school league but it's like you're playing for under the team or like a city's umbrella or whatever, just because there aren't too many kids playing baseball and it has grown um, a lot. I've heard, uh, but again, it's still nothing compared to in the, in the States. And, and, and again, there's pros and cons to that. Right. So if you want to be good at baseball, like you should probably challenge yourself in the States. That's when I decided to go to college in the States. It was because I want to see how far I could make it, you know? And there's also the cons that, like you said, trouble balls and all that gong show that's going on. And, and that's something like I didn't have to deal with, you know what I'm saying? So, so with, with that, with the, the kind of baseball culture in Canada for what it is in these club teams, what made you decide you wanted to keep playing baseball after high school? Um, I, I was good at it. And, and again, I was enjoying it a little more so than, um, than when I played in Korea, you know, I enjoyed playing baseball. I was good at it. Um, I wouldn't say like I, I like loved the sport per se, but it just I enjoyed playing it. I was good at it, and I wanted to see how far I could make it. And my family wasn't a whole lot of like wealthy or anything like that at the time. Still don't. <laughs> so it was like, well, you know, I got kind of kind of make my own way. You know, like make my own path. You know, and so um, instead of going to a college in in Canada, I'm paying, and there's no athletic scholarship in, in Canada. So um, the only thing I could get was um, academic scholarships, and then I wasn't really about that. So. Um, I decided to go down south and really, I didn't really get any offers other than um, a school called Kobe Community College, which is a GCO, um in Kansas. And that's the only school that offered me. And then I signed with them right away and I started, um, I started my uh, journey in the States. So how did they find you? Kansas and Canada, not close to my, to my right, right. Of course. Um, so funny, it's a funny story. Our school actually had like 14 Canadians on our team. Just because our assistant coach was from Canada, and he had a bunch of connections over here, and his actually brother saw me uh, playing in like a little small tournament or whatever in Canada, and then uh, he saw me playing. Apparently, he reached out to him, and then uh, he drove from Kansas to watch me play. Fucking, it was like thirty-hour drive. Came up to watch me play. I remember because he showed up with his dog. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, this college recruiting coach showing up with his dog. I'm like, what? What is happening? And then uh, he offered me full ride right away, and then I signed, and um, I became a, a Kobe Community College um, Trojan. How much did you know about junior college baseball before you got down there, or college in general? Man, I didn't know shit. <laughs> like for 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 now, for the guys in in Canada and kids growing up, like they they know guys, like they've seen guys like me or other people that's from there that went down south and then heck success or whatever, you know. And there's cases like that. When I was this, again, this is 15, 10, 15 years ago, so this is a long time ago. There's no one, you know, like not many people went down south. You know, baseball is still very small 
in Canada. So um, you basically just like try everything on your own and try to figure it out, I guess, you know, and uh, funny story because um, I didn't know shit. Like I didn't know what to do. And even until I was going to like college, my, my English wasn't all that fluent. Like, like, again, like I've only moved there when I was 13 and I spoke English for about four or five years. Right. So it's not very fluent. And I still remember my first day going to Kobe Community College. I never felt like really flown before other than coming to Canada from Korea. Um, but like this was like on my own, you know, like no parents or nothing, you know. So I'm, I'm, I go over there. Uh, one of the dudes picked me up or whatever. And I get sent with, I get set up at this piece of shit, you know, dorm, you know. And I'm in there, man. I, and again, I was very, very shy and I was scared. Like I was so scared. Like for two days, I still remember not like i didn't eat anything for two days dude like it was it was like because i i didn't know where to go like i was like, in a really really small town in kansas fucking cafeteria i couldn't find it i was too scared to ask and like and then like for literally two days i starved myself and at some point and um i had to like fucking get food like i'm gonna die and then uh, one of the one of my roommates actually um that's when he moved in and then like I, you know i I got into the whole, you know, learning about the schools and shit like that. But yeah, man, it was it was crazy experience. Um, small town called Colby, Kansas, like I don't know, a town of like maybe four or five thousand people. Small JUCO, and that's what I that's where I spent my two years. It's funny hearing like you're talking about Kansas is going down south. In that, when I was in college, we had a team in in, in our conference in Wichita, right. and it was always the the northernmost we would go each year, and it was always the coldest weekend. But yeah, I, I guess it's like I guess the the weather might have been a perk. Uh, g- going a little a little farther south uh, to Kansas. So fuck that, man. BC was <laughs> nice. I'm from BC. Like Vancouver is. No, I mean, not bad. Like, I mean, of course it gets cold, but it's like kind of like Seattle. It rains a lot, you know? I will say the, the mutual friend you and I have said that the right. winter in Odessa, Texas was worse than the winter in Vancouver. Dude, man, Kansas is the worst winter I've ever spent in my fucking <laughs> life. Man, it's not even fucking close because um, I don't know if people know this. The, the windshield over there, it's fucking brutal, man. It, it, the wind is literally like 30, 40 miles an hour. Like it's, it's inc- like it's incredible. I can't even explain it. And and when it's cold, man, you're like you're you're aching. Your body aches because you're just like so cold. Like I've never I've never felt anything like that before, man. In Korea, like I'm from a town called uh, Busan, and it's more like south, so it's by the water and stuff like that. So it's a little bit warmer. Again, BC, Vancouver, it gets a little bit cold, but not like like it maybe snows like once or twice a, a year type shit. I go to fucking Kansas, like, I'm in the snow, like, shoveling snow out of the fucking Jico field, and I'm, like, dying, you know, like, it's so cold, and the wind is just, like, howling, and it's just, like, shivering cold, and I'm just like, man, dude, the winter in Kansas is not something I'm willing to experience again, fuck that noise. I had the, the coldest baseball game in my life was in Wichita, Kansas, the first, I yep. will say, is the only time ever playing baseball that I did not want to be put into the game. I just yeah. wanted to. I just wanted to sit in the dugout by the the, the heater they had given us. And yep, it's the worst. Uh, yeah, not great. But so you, you get into JUCO ball, and I in JUCO, you you guys hit it hard in the fall. A um, lot of practice. Right. When you get down into JUCO, and you're playing with guys who have been playing, you know, playing American baseball since they were you know seven, and playing on all these travel teams and and all that stuff. How did you start stacking up? Like, how did you acclimate yourself to to that? And how how did you feel like you were hanging in there in that in that kind of environment? 
Yeah, again, one of the biggest adjustments I had to make was um, from going from high school to JUCO. And I still say that. I've said that to multiple other podcasts, too. And, and it was a huge adjustment for me because, and again, like I was decent in high school, you know, but in Canada, like, I don't know, like, but, but we don't, that's all I see. That's all I see. And that's all I know. And I see, I see that competition and I thought I was good and I got a full ride, obviously. So I'm like, all right, well, I must be pretty good, you know? And I go there. I still remember my first fall ball practice. Like back then, like lifting wasn't a big deal. Like 15 years ago, lifting was considered bad and all that shit. And so I never lifted or anything like that in high school. I literally not, did not lift in high school. And I go over there and like, I'm just like a chubby kid and everyone's jacked. I was like, what the hell is going on? These dudes have been like lifting you know, like you have, a, you know, like mandatory weights and shit like that. And, and, and I've never seen anything like that. You know, I'm, I go over there, like these dudes are fucking monstrous. And we got some like country boys, obviously we're in Kansas, right? So we got some big ass country dudes. I'm like, holy fuck. It was like a huge um, kick in the ass really for me. And the first fall ball practice, man, I, I could barely hit it out in the infield, man. And all these dudes are hitting tanks. I'm like, dude, I better figure it the fuck out or I'm going to get my scholarship taken away I'm my eyes is going home you know like so and from then on man I really didn't stop working I literally just like trained anytime I could I could find any time any chance I get if they say we're going to the gym at five in the morning I'm there if, if, if they uh and I got close to the coach and stuff like that and they gave me like the key especially my sophomore year like they gave me the key to the gym like we just had a basically a basketball gym we didn't have our own baseball facility so we just basically worked out in the off season in a base basketball gym and he gave me the key and then we just had like a shitty net of a top like hanging from the top of the roof or whatever top of the ceiling and then uh, i just did long toss there all fucking day <laughs> like it was like it was again you just had to find a way uh but i just i, I had that drive because um i kind of knew that i i had to i had to work not it's on me not on anybody else so I had to figure out how to work and how to get better so that I can compete with these motherfuckers. If you show up on campus at USF at age 18 without two years of junior college, what happens? I honestly, I don't think I'd have survived the uh, fall ball, man. And even if I did, I don't think I don't think I would have that have that. Uh, what do you call it? It's, it's not a fire. It's more like a. It, it, it's not quitting, dude. It's just like the because you get put in such a shitty situation in JUCO. And I know now I know a lot of Juco kids who can can um, appreciate this. It's just again we go through such a shit situation and you don't really get a whole lot. You just become tough, and it's, whether you like it or not, you become tough. With what you're saying though, the, the shit situation that you're talking about, like what? How do you how do you describe that? It's, it versus like obviously you know versus USF or just versus being at you know a decently funded NCAA school or something like that. What are you dealing with, especially like that fall fall ball in JUCO versus fall ball at a D one school? What are you dealing yeah. with that you're not dealing with at a you know at USF? Like a US, I went to USF and against a D one and you get treated like a D one baseball player in JUCO. Like for example. Like I, I can, I have literally multiple examples. So instead, like when I was in D1, we'll ride uh, charter buses or we get flown out to, um, to like go to St. John's and stuff like that. We didn't have any of that shit in GCO. We will drive our shitty vans. We had two like shitty vans. I'm talking like shitty. And I get, I'm, I believe we had like two or three of them. And so we will drive those motherfuckers down to Texas from Kansas. And that, that, that is a shitty, shitty drive. And the vans have really limited 
um, like AC and heater units. <laughs> so like when it's fucking cold, man, it was fucking cold. When it's hot, it's hot. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you just, you, that's all you do. You get all packed up, jammed up in like a 10 seater fucking van and you cramp up 14 dudes in there with all the baseball bags. You can imagine how crowded it gets. And you're literally driving 12 hours to go to Texas. You know, it's just like, it's just what it takes. And on the way, like, we'll go get our food from our cafeteria. Like, at a USF, we'll get, we literally had, like, catered uh, Chipotle from time to time. And we literally, we had great food. I still remember my JUCO, my first trip to Texas, our cafeteria prepared us our food. It gave us a little, you know, those little white plastic fucking to-go things or whatever. And there were two slices of bread. One piece of processed cheese. They forgot to put any meat in there. So it's like, it's literally two slices of bread, one piece of um, processed cheese, two packets of, or like a packet of mayo, a packet of um, a mustard, and bag of fucking lace. You got, you got the fire Festival meal. Literally, but it's worse because at least fire Festival, they got meat. We didn't even get meat. And the vans will get so fucking hot sometimes, right? And the, the cheese will melt. And we'll call it grilled cheese without the grill. <laughs> and that's how bad it was. It's just, again, but you survived through that. I literally ate like eight bats for like 10 hour drive. And, you know, and in Juco, you don't get a whole lot of post game meals either. Um, so again, we'll get like catered food at USF and we'll go to nearby McDonald's after the game and you get $5 limit. And that's, that's all you get. So you get, you go to, you obviously go for the dollar menu. You can't go for the full meal. And when you get the dollar menu, you're so fucking hungry, you order five burgers because you don't want to waste any on the drinks. So you get five dollar burgers, right? You crush them and you get a water cup and you fill that with Gatorade. <laughs> That's what we did in Juco. And, and again, it's not just our Juco. It's just everyone, you know, all Juco bandits across the nation were doing that. And which, again, I'm fine with that. Like now thinking about it, that made me stronger than that made me who I am now. You know, and in any situation... I, I get put into really like it doesn't really get worse than that, you know. So, um, so I, I I learned to survive really. And how much more baseball are you playing in junior college? Because the fall in junior college, like the fall at an NCAA institution, is just like you get a certain right, amount of days of practice. Like you might right, you yeah. get your you get your scrimmages. You might get a like we would have a junior college come scrimmage once during the fall. But yep. other than that, it's it's a long wait. And if you redshirt as a freshman, it is a long wait before you play a. Uh, a meaningful game. How much, what is, right. what are Juco falls like baseball wise? Right. It's good baseball. And again, do you play with other teams or you do, you do mostly again, um, inner squads, stuff like that too, because in fall ball, like you have so many kids right in the team and coaches are going to make cuts at some point. So fall ball is basically where you weed out some of the weeks and then, you know, do all that, but and tons of games, just shit ton of practice, you know, and coaches, you usually try to hammer out them like the, a lot of team stuff and all that just to get ready for the season. So as you would just do a lot of that, it's just, again, just a shit ton of baseball. And, and when I was at USF, there are rules, there are rules they got to follow. You got a certain amount of hours to practice, I believe. So we couldn't really go to the field and we, I mean, we still find a way. I mean, our coach will leave a key out and then like, it's like, Hey, you don't have to take the key. We should fucking take the key, you know what I'm mean? saying? Like, so we kind of did our own stuff over there a little bit as well. Just to, you know, because I mean, you can't just like only hit for like half an hour and then be called a day. You know, you just, it, that's not how it works. So um, still find a way. But again, Juco is just a shit, like that times 10. You know, you just play a shit ton of baseball, shit ton of hang out with your teammates. You basically hang out with them all day. 
even when you fucking come back to the dorm, do you hang out with them? So, and that, and again, surviving really, you know, you get shit food and whatever, but you gotta, you gotta make it work. And I still remember my sophomore year in JUCO, I lived in a closet. I, I paid 50 bucks a month. And I lived in a closet area. So I just put up like a, a shitty little mattress in there, a little small fridge. And that's all I had. And I fucking survived the year there. So, and again, that made me stronger. That made me who I am now. So I, I honestly, two years in JUCO were, were two of the best years of my life. So when did you start to realize like, hey, I'm going to have some options when I leave here. I'm, I'm going to get to go to another school. Um, I didn't. Yeah. Again, when I first went to JUCO again, I told you like it was a huge shock. And I, I was like, dude, like I'm going to fucking like, I'm not going to figure this out. Like I'm going to go home or whatever. Um, and freshman year, like I played okay. Um, again, I worked my fucking ass off and I kind of earned the sophomore year as a starting spot. And then, uh, and I kind of balled out in sophomore year, man. And we did like, uh, the first time I realized like I could probably make somewhere was probably uh, as uh, during my sophomore year in JUCO. And we went to a sophomore showcase. Um, they all throw that for all the sophomores to get signed or whatever. And I went and I fucking just like, I killed it. I fucking threw out a bunch of guys and I had a good army on the plate. And um, I was I hit a couple of shots or whatever. And then um, and when that sophomore showcase thing was over, I, I literally got like 60 offers, man, from all D1, D2, NAIA, D3, whatever. You know, like all these schools, four-year schools are loving me. That's when I kind of knew, like, oh, shit, like, you know, I'm, you know, I could probably do something with this instead of just like, oh, you know, you know, everyone's goals like, oh, I want to go to a four-year, four-year and all that. But for me, it was like a every, but I, I think that's the thing that got me going too was like every year for me was, it wasn't like, oh, I want to do this. It was more like, hey, like, I'll, let's, let's dominate this year. Let's dominate this year. Let's dominate this year. And I think that made me farther my career. Um, and again, after that sophomore showcase, I got shit on a call. Like, I got so funny story with that. Um, I still remember my mom calling me because my cell phone bill, I was still under her um, cell phone plan under a Canadian, um, um, you know, Canadian plan or whatever. And my fucking bill was like three, four hundred bucks. She's like, what the fuck are you doing with the, with all the calls? And I'm like, hey, like, you know, I'm getting all these calls from schools. Like, I got to talk to them. She's like, oh, shit. Like, Good job. <laughs> you know, keep doing that was this, back so. in the days before unlimited minutes. This is, dude, dude this is like. Like this is way before. This is like when cell phones don't really ha they never had like a uh, internet. This is when cell phones don't have didn't have internet. This is like you know like you get caught and like international plans they fuck them up just so that they can make money, right? So and I was yeah, I was already getting screwed because like you know I was living in Kansas on a Canadian plan and I couldn't open up a plan in in, in the states because um, I didn't have like the 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 social security numbers and all that shit. So I couldn't do any of that. So I, I was on that. I was still paying like extra. And then obviously when the schools called me, like I still remember some of these schools were calling me like, dude, once a day, some of them, like it was, it was a lot. And I was getting a shit ton of calls. For, I, again, like 60, I got about 60 offers and I got, I talked to probably about a hundred schools. <laughs> so it was like, it was overwhelming, but also it was like a good thing. Like it was like a, it was like a, oh shit moment. You know, I'm like, oh, it was kind of cool. So when you grow up, you grow up in Canada and you're, you grow up in Canada as a, as a Korean immigrant, you probably didn't have a great grasp on like American college culture. Like any uh, kid growing up, idea. you know, I could have told you exactly who USF was when I was like 14, you know, right? because right. college football and stuff like that. How do you narrow down? What is USF the pick? Like what did USF even mean to you before, you know, they offered you? 
to be honest, like back then, like I, I didn't know shit about any of the schools. I was getting just a bunch of calls and offers. And so I went on to uh, three um, visits. You can go to a, like a limit of five uh, recruiting visits. And then I went to three. And my first one was to um, Texas Pan America, which at the time was NAIA turning like a D2 or something like that the year after. I went over there for a visit. I had a great time. I was like, hey, like I'm going to talk to my coach, obviously, right after. They offered me a scholarship. I called him. I called my coach. I'm like, hey, like, I want to sign here. This is awesome because like, they're, they're using a nice facility, you know, four years, like good stuff. Like, it was like, it was awesome, you know? And then my coach was like, oh, just don't sign. Wait, wait, you got, you got some other stuff coming. I'm like, all right, whatever. I come home literally like next week. I talked to uh, Louisiana Monroe, which was a pretty decent um, a, a D1 school. Um, they called me for a visit. I went down on a visit. Like the field and everything was fucking beautiful. They had like barbecue grills set up outside of the field. Like, like it was incredible. Like I've never seen anything like that. You know, when the game's going on, like all the barbecue grills are going on. Like it's like, that's crazy. Like I've never seen anything like that. And like they get good fans and then school was sick. They had an indoor facility. I was like, holy shit, this is, this is awesome. And then my, I call my coach. I'm like, hey, coach, I'm going to sign here. He's like, hey, no. I'm like, all right, man, I got to sign somewhere, you know, like shit. So literally, again, the week after, um, USF called, got me on a visit. I go to Tampa, Florida. I was, in, I was literally in Kobe, Kansas. And then next day, I was in Tampa, Florida. I show up to the school. It's literally in the middle of Tampa. And, and, and the weather's beautiful. Fucking, like, school's nice. It's, it's one of the bigger schools in the States like across the country, you know, and it's a beautiful, like campus, beautiful stadium and just people everywhere. Like it was, it was an incredible moment. And then, uh, before I called him, I signed. <laughs> and then, uh, after I called him, that coach, I signed, he's like, damn it. <laughs> Cause he finally had some other ones, um, set up for me after, but I'm like, like, to be honest, like I'm from a small town in Canada, Abbotsford. No one knows where the fuck that is. Now I'm in Can- Kobe, Kansas. It really is not going to get much better than Tampa, Florida. You know what I'm saying? That was my thought at the time. So I was like, oh, fuck it. You know, I'm going to sign. And honestly, like, I'm glad I did because USF was a, well, that was a hell of a year, you know, and it was just great experience. Um, great teammates. I just had a great time. You become a Florida man. That's uh, right. What was the difference in how you felt about yourself walking into USF as a new guy versus walking into Colby as a new guy? Uh, did, did you starve guess, yourself at USF as well? Yeah, it's, again, it's kind of the same same thing. Um, anywhere I went, because I went to places that were so far away from home, like usually when I go to places, like no one knew who I was. You know, like so I had to prove who I was, and that is what I what I had to do to survive. Basically, even coming from Korea to Canada, like no one knows who I am. Like, so I need to, I need to prove how I can play, you know? And so I did that. When I went to Kobe, I got the same thing. Like, no one knows who the fuck I am. I'm just like some BC kid, you know? Like, no one knows who I am. I had to prove I had to play. And I did that. And when I went to USF, same thing. Like, I had to prove I had to play um, with these guys, you know? Like, and, you know, again, there's a big thing about D1 and stuff like that or whatever. But for me, it's just like, dude, like, let me prove that I belong here, you know? And, and it was, again... USF was the same thing. Like, it was a huge adjustment for me. Uh, first little bit, like, I mean, there are some studs, man. And they get, obviously, the recruits are better than Kobe. You know, like, the, the guys that get recruited to go to USF are obviously better than guys like Kobe. It's just how it works, you know? Like, so USF have a way bigger school. And so guys are even out of high school that signed there, they're freshmen. They're still big and strong, and they throw hard, and they hit far and stuff like that. And 
that's something I had to adjust to, and I had to I had to make it work, and and so and I did that. Your first series at UCF or USF, you guys go to Gainesville. You play right. a loaded Florida team, multiple future big leaguers on the bump. Yes. What's the mentality when you go into a series on paper, and it's your first series, and on paper this team is supposed to rock you and everyone else they play that year? The Florida's actually at the time ranked number one in the country. <laughs> so we're, we're opening our season with number one team in the country. And the other catcher is Mike Zanino. So, yeah, at the time, let me, let me tell you some of the guys they had. They had Preston Tucker. Uh, that was, like, just ridiculous. They had um, they have, uh, Mike Zanino. Um, they also had, uh, dude, they, they just had, their team was just stupid. They had, uh, Brian Johnson was a Saturday starter. Yeah, I went back and looked yeah. at the, uh, the box um, scores. The Friday guy, I can't remember his name. He was a dude too. Um, uh, dude, again, the whole team was again, literally the number one team in the nation, you know, like, and we actually had a, at USF, we had a really good fall ball and, um, and fall ball at D1 is obviously a little more serious in Juco, even though you play less games. I mean, there's still scouts and stuff like that watching you and, you know, people are writing about you and stuff like that. You know, they, you do like preseason ranks and stuff like that. And, um, and our preseason, we're ranked in number two in, in Big East, uh, which was a decent conference for baseball. We had like um, UConn, like Louisville, all these good schools. And we're ranked number two in the, in, in the conference. So we're like, we're feeling pretty good. And we have some, we have some good dudes. And when we went to Florida, man, like our open season and just like, we got fucking rocked, you know? So, and we showed up with high hopes, too. Our coaches are, like, super excited. We're all super excited. And we opened our season, and the, these dudes just, like, absolutely destroyed us. I believe, like, the third game was, like, super close. Uh, but the first two games, we just got fucking rocked. So, and um, that basically set the tone for our season, man. And, unfortunately, and we, we tried to fight through it and all that. But uh, we really couldn't get it going. And after getting um, destroyed by Florida, I think we played some other schools and, we weren't, weren't like great. Like we're, we're like a little bit under 500, you know, for, for, for winning percentage and all that. But I mean, again, it was, it was, a, it was, um, it was a year to remember for me. Yeah. You're the king of Juco, but was it nice living that D one life for spring? Did you, <laughs> and you miss any of those junior college stadiums? No. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, again, it was, it was life changing. And because like I told you, like I, I, I was living in a closet, for 50 bucks a month. Now I have to pay more, obviously, when I went to uh, South Florida. But I'm living in, like, I show up. I still remember moving in my first day at the apartment. It was like a brand new apartment just for athletes, like um, students, uh, uh, like mostly student athletes, but like students too. And I walk in, there's like, there's like a pool. Like, I've never seen a pool, you know, like fucking just in the middle of a, like an apartment complex before. And I was like, what the hell is this? Like, it was like pool everywhere, um, just people everywhere, like, like places to go eat instead of going Sonic. We went to Sonic every single day in fucking Kobe because that's all we had. And now I can I, I can go to all these places, you know. And, and living there was was great. So it's your junior year. You're draft eligible. Heading into the yeah. draft, what were you what were you hearing? Did you did you know wh- when did you know that it was a possibility you might not be going back to USF for your senior year? Um, yeah, again, that was also another complicated story. Um, I. So fall ball, like I said, um, is a pretty big deal at D1 or D2 or whatever. So there's scouts watching your your players, you know what I'm saying? And then I was kind of like the the new kid on the block. Was, no one knows who I am and why did they get him or whatever kind of thing. And then I go fall ball and I fucking destroy fall ball. Like I did really good. Like I, was, I led the team in batting average, homers, like doubles. Like I basically was like the best player like 
best hitter on the team. And I was throwing out like everybody. I had a good arm. I've always thrown a lot of people, even in pro ball. I throw a lot of people. Um, that's one thing I always had going. But hitting was like, hey, like if I figure it out, I'll, I'll be good or whatever. And I figured it out in that fall ball, and I fucking dominated it. So, like, there was a lot of hype. And I still remember coming into my locker, it's like, and then now. So when you when, when pro scouts look at you, they like you or whatever, they give you, uh, like, the questionnaire for you to sign. And I signed for 25 teams. I, was, I probably signed the most questionnaires from our team with pro ball. Uh, and then it was, like, a lot of hype, you know. I was like, holy shit, like, I'm, I'm actually going to – like, I'm signing questionnaires for, like, big league teams, you know. Like, so I was like – this is crazy to me. You know, I'm just like a small town kid from Canada and Kobe, Kansas. I didn't talk to no scouts there. And I come over here. It's like a fucking like a mind opening. Obviously, I play well, too. But it's like just just the experience was crazy. I still remember coming to my the practice and there would be like a questionnaire, like envelope left in your locker. And that's obviously a good sign, you know, and I was getting like two or three um, every after like game or practice or whatever. So it was, it was really cool. And and so and I kind of knew I was getting drafted just because and then you start talking to scouts and stuff like that. They, they feed you a lot of shit. And I'm not saying they meant they did it in a bad way because they're all trying to sign you or whatever, but there's just so much of that bullshit that that was fed to me. Um, I was like, I, I didn't really enjoy the process of getting drafted. Um, unfortunately, uh, that's something I still regret to this day uh, because I was drafted in the 27th round. Like you, you introduced myself and Back then, like, I thought I was going to go top 10 rounds, you know, and that, that, that was a lot of shit I was getting fed to from the scouts, and and I was like, oh, well, I should go top 10 rounds just because they said it, you know, and I was naive and dumb, and I didn't, and I was really, really, really pissed, you know, so um, I didn't want to sign, uh, but I called my coach at USF, and he's like, hey, like, because I didn't really play all that great in the season, um, I played well in the fall, but I mean, during the season, I was, I was brutal, so he's like, I need to give another guy a chance. Uh, my backup at the time, who like who ended up getting drafted by the Tigers too, right after me, um, he was a, he was a great catcher. So he's like, I'm gonna give him a shot. So we should probably sign. I'm like, all right, well that's <laughs> that's a done deal then, because I I can't come back for my senior year and fighting for a spot. You know what I'm saying? So, so it more um, felt like you were getting kind of forced out than making. I definitely got I definitely got jump. forced out, which again is fine, and that's how it works, and that's a lot of, that's some things that a lot of people don't know. Um, people think it's all like you know fun and games and everyone's happy or whatever but it's not there's a lot of that happening and and to be honest that's how it works like I, I'm not complaining you know like it is, and and I kind of figure the same way too like that's why I asked him like is there any spot for me to like if I is there a spot if I come back you know and then they said basically no and that's how college baseball works man where there's a lot of a lot of money involved or whatever there's a lot of politics or what you that's that's, that's what you gotta deal with and I guarantee a lot of kids it, any school go through that. That's why people, kids transfer and all that shit, red shirt. That's because of that, right? So, and I'm fine with that. It's what it is. And and um and I was um and that was like um my decision maker. And I signed with uh San Francisco Giants in the 27th round. What? How much? What did you sign for? What was your bonus? I signed for fifteen thousand dollars and fifteen k in uh, school. Um, but again, that money doesn't really count because I mean, it's up for. Like it's, you gotta use it for it to, for it, for them to give it to you. They don't just give you that cash, you know. So, and I ended up not going back to school. So all I got was fifteen k. And after about all the taxes and shit, I got about twelve, eleven or twelve k. When they sign you, 
I'm sure it says somewhere in your contract or what is something you sign, how much you're going to make. But did anyone explicitly tell you this is what your paychecks are going to look like month no. to month? No, <laughs> you fucking go and you're like, and again, that's the thing. Like a lot of people don't know. And, and I, I, now it's a little more, a little more out there and, and people are a little more aware of the situation. And because like people talk about it, like, like I talk about it all the time, you know, like it's, it's shitty, you know, but you really don't know until you go and see your first paycheck. You're like, holy fuck. You know, like I'm surprised you you're poor. Like, yeah, you want me to survive with this? Like, all right. Well, like, I'll make it work, you know? So, but again, I went through Juco and all that. So it wasn't a huge deal for me, um, but it doesn't change the fact that it was still shitty. And there's no reason for, for, for minor league professional baseball players to get paid like that. It was, again, my, dude, my first paycheck, I still remember it was like 350 bucks for two weeks, 350. And I was like, what the fuck am I looking for 350? So for a month, I'm making 700. That's after all the, so 1100 was supposed to be our paycheck. And obviously um, you get tax taken out and you get clubhouse dues, which is, um, if, you, if people don't know what that is, um, every team has a clubby and you pay dues for the clubby out of your own fucking paychecks. Now some teams are doing it on their own or whatever. But when I played, man, it was all us. So we had to pay taxes, uh, clubhouse dues, and you got to tip them after too. You can't just like give them, if it's like 30 bucks, you can't just give them 30, you got to give them 40. You know, that's how the shit works. So, and that's how he's going to take care of you or, or he's going to fuck you over too. So, um, so yeah, you basically do that and you survive with like 350, which is fucking ridiculous for two weeks. Um, so, but you find a way and you do it. What'd you make your first month tending bar after you retired? Dude, I, I made like fucking three K my, like two, over two K my first paycheck. I was like, fuck me. What was I doing? Man? Like I, I should have done this a long time ago. So most minor leaguers are essentially doing this, this high pressure, high stakes, mass effort job that takes you away from your family for six, seven, eight months of the year. And there's also the specter of, I could go 10 bar and make three times as much money at least. Exactly. And, and, and the point is, there's no reason for that to happen. The only reason that's happening because owners are cheap. And that is the only reason it's happening. And it is bullshit. It's, it's, it's just utter bullshit. Um, so for my, for example, this is a perfect example I can give you. My first full season, um, I go through spring training, uh, which is in March. And I go actually a little bit earlier uh, because I was a catcher. And then um, usually um, catchers get recorded a little bit earlier to catch like pens and shit like that. Um, so I went there a little bit earlier, um, like mid-February. And I was catching some like rehabbers and shit like that. And spring training, uh, by that time I wasn't getting paid. Um, I, they just basically sent me out with a hotel and, and I was fine with that because that's, that's what you get. Um, and during spring training, you don't get paid. That's a month. Um, you just get more money. And after the month, I didn't make the team. I got stuck in extended. If you don't, if people don't know what extended is, it's basically um, all the all the players that didn't make the full season roster, like low A, high A, double A, triple A, you get stuck in extended. And when you get stuck in extended, it's basically an extended version of spring training. Um, but and you basically play games of, on your own or against other teams that are also an extended. Um, and you do that without getting paid. And that's until that happens. That goes on until the draft, which is in June. So from April till mid-June or early June, you do extended and you don't get paid. So that's like, what, three, three and a half months, or I guess two and a half months on its own and another month of spring training, that's three and a half months of not getting paid. 
And then the draft happens, and you play, you start short season. And that's when you get your first paycheck. Um, and my first paycheck, again, it was, it was 1100 $1, total. Um, and you get you divide up by two. It was like 550 right? And after taxes and dues and shit like that, you get about, again, 350 to $400 uh, per paycheck. And you do that, you get that for two and a half months. So I made about less, like about two grand for, for the entire year. And I come back from, so after that rookie ball, I get sent home and I, they bring me straight down to instructional camp, which is another month long camp, kind of like spring training after the season for dudes to get more work in. Or if they, if they want you to work on something, they'll bring you in or, or, if, you know, whatever. So you, and I got sent, I got invited for the instructional camp and did it for a month without getting paid again, just meal money, and you get sent home. So you do about, what, the six or seven months of that was not getting paid a whole lot. So the entire year, the entire year, I made about a little over two grand. So it was the, it was the most ridiculous thing. If, you, if I think now, like, that's why I, I, I don't get it, you guys. There's no reason for it to be that way. Um, but just because it has been that way, it's still that way. So it doesn't need to change. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, and, and think about how many hours a week that minor leaguers work. Because it's not just the game. You're at the stadium no. hours and hours before the game, plus the yeah. travel. Right. It's, and again, it's people wild. don't realize, the, oh, you get to you get paid for three hours, which is how long the game's last. No, motherfucker. If there's a game at 7 p.m., we're showing up at 2, you know, sometimes 1.30. You know, and then you stay there, you show up at 1.30 or 2, and you stay until after the end of the game, which is 11. And sometimes longer. And you get a shower and all that. You get home by midnight, you know, and you wake up and do it all over again. And you do that for 162 games, obviously, in the big leagues, 144 in the minors. Like, that's a shit ton of fucking games. Um, and that's a lot of work. And spring training, you wake up, you have to wake up at 6.30 and you show up early and you don't get done until like 4 or 5 p.m. You know, like, so people think you only should get paid for that playing. No, like, we're, you don't know the whole preparation that we do you know, taking BP, fucking infield, outfield, like all that shit. Like it takes a long time for you to prep and throw bullpens and all that. And the game happens. Game itself is pretty long. And so it's not, it's not all day. It's, it's a full-time, it's more than a full-time job. Oh, for sure. For sure. So you, you sign, you get sent out to the AZL for a few games, and then your next season, like you said, you're an extended, and then you, you start short season. You start short season in the complex league. On this show, it has typically been me asking warm weather state guys who had to go somewhere like the Midwest League, you know, like what's right. it like adjusting to Boyd or something like that. If yeah. you, you know, if you grew up in Texas, you're from Canada, you spent two years in Kansas, yeah. and then you spent a spring in Florida. But what is summer like in Arizona for the first dude, time when you're summer, catching? Dude, summer, let me, okay, this is the easiest story I can tell you about how fucking hot it is. Um, like you said, I'm a, I'm a catcher. And so you were a gear. I, I remember I was catching one time. We, our trainer, because it was so fucking hard. Our trainer, just for fun, left a uh, thermometer or, th or the thing or like right on the home plate. It got up to 120. And so we, he's like, what the fuck? We shouldn't even play. But we had to play, obviously. We're not just going to not play. And I still remember I caught the game, full game. I lost about seven pounds in water right after the game, because they, they make you weigh in and weigh out, uh, weigh out after the game, just so that like they can track or whatever. And after the game, I got back, my fucking shin guard, you know, that shin guard's kind of made of like a little bit of like metal and all that stuff, and plastic and metal. 
and the plastic melted. Fucking <laughs> so the shin guards like I don't know if you like so like in between it's like a it's like a cat, caterpillar, so it kind of moves like a little bit. Like that thing was stuck because the fucking plastic part melted together, and that's fucking how hot it was, man. And like it was, it's ridiculous. It was so fucking hot, and and again, you just have to deal with it. So I lose seven pounds of water on the way home or on the way back to the hotel. I'm cramping fucking everywhere, and you drink Pedialyte until you fucking piss green, and then fucking you do it all over again the next day. So. It was, um, it was honestly a, one of the bigger adjustments I had to make. Well, have you ever hit better in your life than you did uh, in 2011 in the AZL? No, it's the best year of my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, and I, don't, I don't know what it was, man. Like, I was hitting like 270, like, even until like June or what, or like, uh, no, sorry, even until like July, because like start, season starts in June and July, even like until like mid-July, I was hitting 270 or something. Dude, I, I don't know what the fuck happened. I fucking went on a tear, and I ended up hitting 350, led the organization in hitting, um, as in, like, um, and obviously, like, short seasons, so a little bit less, you know, example, like, um, less than full-season guys or whatever, you know, but I hit 350. I led the, uh, the, led the entire organization in hitting, um, and I hit six homers, and I hit four in, like, the last month. I just went on a fucking crazy tear, man. So I ended up hitting, like, 350 with six dingers, and I threw out everybody, and um, and yeah, that that was a uh, best year playing baseball like ever, like balling out. Like that was by far the best year. What's the toughest thing about the jump to full season ball and getting at least getting out of the complex and going somewhere? Uh, it, it's an adjustment, but when you break it, when you break with a team, though, it's usually an excitement because you don't have to get stuck and extended. I still remember when I first made to Augusta, which is our low weight team after um, after the um, short season, and I was like, I was super fucking pumped, you know, and 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 there's a lot of excitement. And but Augusta, I didn't know that. I didn't know it was fucking. It gets hot as shit up there too, but it's like with humidity. It's <laughs> in Augusta, Georgia. Yeah, so Georgia's remember, gross. Dude, it was fucking miserable. I didn't know that my first year. And I show up like, oh, dude, I'd rather do this than, you know, AZ. Like, I was 120. It was brutal. And I show up. It was, it got so fucking hot. Like, you literally, like, I wake up, shower, right, in the apartment. As soon as I walk out the, uh, the door, I literally have to shower again because I'm, like, sweating. Dude, it was fucking, it was, it was, it was the most crazy thing ever. Like, it was, it was, and that itself was a fucking adjustment, dude. Like, I'm losing Literally, like, another seven pounds of water just because of the humidity. You know, humidity was gross, you know, and you get a bunch of bugs and shit like that during the games. It was just not a not a pleasant way to play baseball, you know. But, again, you kind of have to deal with it. And with no money, how are you keeping yourself in shape? How are you keeping yourself fed? Uh, you find a way, man. And in low A and double A with the Giants, again, every organization is a little bit different. They didn't pay for living. So you have to get your own apartment. So we're sharing – uh, two or three bed, uh, bedroom apartment with two bathroom with like seven dudes and it got fucking gross. But you have to because I, we can't afford to pay 600 bucks um, for rent. We can't do that per, per person. Like it's impossible. We can't do that. So we'll split up this for seven people and I'll pay like 200, a little over 200 for, uh, for a living. And it, 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 you just have to do that because you get paid like shit and you got to pay for a fucking living. And now I heard that some of the teams are taking care of it. Uh, because people are like, what the fuck, you know, but, um, yeah, it was, it was nasty and you get no money. And so basically your paycheck, your first paycheck goes to rent. 
and groceries. And your second paycheck, basically, you survive for, you know, like, for, for more groceries or, or whatever, you know? So it was, it was um, I don't even know, man. I don't know how to explain it. It was just shitty. It was just, no, I can't explain other than that it was shitty. Like, if, if someone came out to me like, hey, here's a professional contract. You need to go to low eight. I'll tell the fuck off because I'm not doing that again. How does that affect your mental well-being? Like, how do you feel about yourself that, yeah, you're you're chasing this dream and stuff, but you're you're not being... I mean, you're you're not being treated like a like a real employee. I think the worst part for me was you become numb to that kind of stuff. You know, some of the things that regular employees would be like, "What the fuck?" or they like sue the company or whatever. Like we were just like so numb to it, and that's something I I hated that that I was like, "Oh yeah, you get a so minor leaguers usually get abused," as in. Uh, playing time or if there's politics or going up and down, you see a lot of guys getting up, uh, fucked over like the big league, or, like a young big leaguer that's supposed to be, that should be in the big league. They dominate in the minor league. And they, they keep them down in the minor league just for the, um, <clears throat> the, the fucking, um, like the, the service time. time. Service time, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just like, and, and we, and there's not just, it's not just happening in, the big leagues and the minor leagues level. It's happening within the minor league levels as well. If you're a low way guy, you fucking dominate it. But just because you're a low round pick, um, you're gonna get fucking, you're gonna get fucked again. You're gonna go and do it. I still remember my one of my buddies was a AAA All Star. He was a he won the hitting title in AAA, and they sent they sent him down to high A. They they demoted him two levels after doing that just because he was a nobody. He's a fucking he he wasn't a high draft pick or nothing like that, right? So and you see that everywhere and and all that shit and, and and plus the 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 pay and the how you get treated and it just it's just bullshit man it just it's horrible and honestly like i <clears throat> i do not miss playing professional baseball because why would i miss it like i made i made zero like i literally lost money i signed i spent all my signing bonus within the first two three years of, of professional baseball, I played six years, so I was basically working every off season um, to save up for the season. Because with that salary that you get during the season, you just can't, you can't afford shit. So yeah, just you, you just learn to survive, man. Your first year in full season ball, you get hurt. Second year, you you're just really not hitting. You don't have yeah. to rake to make it in the show as a catcher, but you have to hit a little bit. Yeah. Pre-game BP hacks in the cage. Like, what are you doing each day? What's the play for this? How do you say, like, okay, I'm gonna survive. I'm gonna figure out how to hit. What are you like? What are the adjustments you're making? And and that's the thing with so people are like, oh, you know, this guy hit 270 in the year. You know, like whatever. But even within that 270 hitting year, that player goes through a lot of um, mental state changes, adjustments. Um, even like the trying different shit, you know, and a lot of that happens and that happens with everybody. And I simply could not figure it out for a full year. Um, and I, I figured it out from like short stints or whatever. Um, but, but when you're playing professional baseball, you're playing a lot of games, you gotta be more consistent. And I wasn't doing that. So, and, and honestly, like I tried everything I could, you know, even hitting, like I'll try a leg kick, no leg kick, you know, hands back, hands forward hands in and sometimes you have a coordinator coming down they're like oh tell you to do this and you do that and then um next week your hitting coach is telling you some other shit so you do that and then again it's a whole trying to figure it out just again trying to survive trying to figure it out and i simply didn't do that hitting wise um 
Um, so that's, yeah, that was based on my career. So <laughs> Yeah, the, the hitting never comes around, but you do end your career as a career 500 hitter in AAA, which not many, that is pretty badass. Not yeah, many can guys say, can say. I can say that till I die, which is fucking tight. Walk me through getting turned into a pitcher. Um, yeah, that is, uh, dude, but I got stories for days, man. <laughs> fucking, that's also a funny story here. Um, my pitching coach at the time, so I was in low weight and I was 24. I was old and double A. I'm backing up. And when you're backing up in anywhere, like you don't want to do that in the minors. So, um, so for example, you want, you rather want to be a starter in low weight than to be a backup in high eight. Does that make sense? So I still remember one time I was in low weight. I got promoted to high eight. But it was more of a demotion for me because I was going from a, a starting catcher in low way to a backup in high A. So, um, anyway, so you don't want to be a backup is basically what I'm saying. And I was a backup. I was 24 in low way, and I was miserable. Um, and my pitching coach at the time, uh, Steve Klein, pitched in the big leagues for the Cardinals for, for a while. And he's like, hey, just come throw a bullpen for me. I'm like, no, I don't want to do that shit. I'd rather, like, fucking quit than, than do that. Just because I had so much pride in catching. And I caught all my life. I literally did not play any other position but to catch. Like, I caught all my life. You know, that's all I've done. You know, and he's like, just do it, whatever. Like, who cares? So I was like, all right, whatever. Fuck, I don't care. I'm not playing anyway. So I go to a bullpen, throw I, I, I throw a bullpen for him. Just basically all fastballs. I don't know how to throw any other pitches. Just throw all fastballs. And that's all I know. So I did that. Again, I had a pretty good arm behind the plate. So I was like, that's pretty good. You're going to pitch in three days. I'm like what like i've never i've never pitched in my life you're gonna put me in front of fucking pro baseball players he's like yeah i'm like fuck it let's go let's do it so he puts me in uh against uh charleston which is a low a team for the yankees and i don't know if you know anybody yankees the yankees minor league system are always fucking loaded with talent because they have a lot of money and so here's a funny story about that story. You know, so our low A team, our entire signing bonus for the entire um, team was about like like half a million. We had like a couple like, you know, two, three hundred thousand or two hundred thousand signs and a bunch of fucking nobodies like me. So it was about half a million, a little over. Their entire, like just their lineup signed for 10 million. <laughs> That's when they had like, Gary Sanchez and all that bullshit too. And I played against like Aaron Judge and all those guys, right? And I'm pitching and I'm like, dude, what the fuck? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm facing these basically big leaguers now, you know? So I was like, what the hell? I go actually throw pretty well, like three up, three down. Um, I threw strikes, just like whatever, a couple pop-ups and like a strikeout or some shit. And then um, on, the, on the gun, I hit like 92 or 93. And then a pitching coach is like, oh, well, you're going to come back. Uh, that was basically at the end of the season. Um, so there he's like, uh, come back to uh, instructional camp, my fucking fourth instructional camp, which sucks, but whatever, and come back ready to be a pitcher. I'm like, fuck it. All right. And that's basically how I became a pitcher, man. So do you think that was your ticket? Like, were you, did you have a lot of optimism about that? Or was it like, uh, I got to do what I got to do to keep my jersey? I mean, that was basically, that was my only choice. It was basically pitch or get the fuck out. So I, I, yeah, of course I'm going to try it. Like, I don't want to be done right now because i don't know what the fuck i'm gonna do i'm 24 25 25 i don't know what the fuck i'm gonna do like i have no education you know <laughs> i got none of that shit so yeah i might as well do it and try to see if this works you know so you you had to short season that next year you your stats are good you're old as hell 
but your stats yeah. are good. <laughs> but some guys get the the tough walk into the manager's office. That scene from Bull Durham where they cut the guy loose. You don't. They don't even give you that. You get walk me through getting cut on a phone call. Yeah, that also pretty tight story. Um, I pitched well, um, but um, I I know how baseball works. I know how pro ball works. I was a catcher. I caught all these fucking pitchers. I was a right-handed reliever. I was 25 at the time. I was a right-handed reliever, 25-year-old, pretty old, and I'm throwing 92-94. That just simply ain't going to cut it. That's just not how Pro Bowl works. So um doesn't matter what kind of stats you put up. And that was my first year pitching. And for a guy that's never pitched before, I said, that's pretty good. You know, I put up a 2-5 ERA. And I struck out like 32 and 32 innings. Like give up not many very hits. Like it was at a, at a good year for – for a 20-year-old, you know, but for a 25-year-old right-handed reliever, that just wasn't enough. And I simply wasn't throwing hard enough, you know, or, or I had to put up like a one ERA, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, and that didn't happen. And I went home for after the season. And I, I obviously, that's not something you expect. You don't expect to get cut because every, everyone has that confidence. Um, but at the time, like I, when I got the call, like it didn't surprise me. They, they called me, you know, I, I was old strong, not very hard, and just not, that's not how Pro Bowl works, so I get a call in the offseason, right, so it's like November, I still remember that day, it's like no, November 11th or some shit, I'm sleeping, um, I get a call, and like, it's like 9 or 10 in the morning, I try to get up, see it, it's like San Francisco number, I'm like, what the fuck, like, and I like, I I, I don't answer it, because like, it's, it's a weird number, like, I'm out of show, I don't get a San Francisco number, if anything, I'll get Arizona numbers. I get a call, I'm like, I'm, I'm like not answer. And then I try to go back to sleep and then like it hit, you know, my mind's like, oh fuck, that was it, wasn't it, you know? <laughs> and literally two seconds later, it called again, I answer. Um, it's, it's a very quick uh, call. I don't know if any people got released before, <laughs> if any minor leaguers watching this or hearing this. Um, yeah, it's a very quick call. They all say the same shit when they release you. It's like a, hey, we enjoyed having you. Uh, we just got no roster spot for you, and good luck. <laughs> That's basically it. People think it's like a, this elaborate, you know, because uh, I was there for six years now. I know a lot of people in the Giants organization, you know, and uh, maybe, you know, a little more than a literally three, five-minute talk, but that was basically it, man. Uh, quick, literally the quickest phone call of my life, and the and my heart obviously sank. Like, I mean, when you, when you get relief, doesn't matter if you expect it or not, or you kind of figure like it didn't surprise you or whatever. It still fucking sucks, you know. So um, I got a call, and then I, I asked him. Um, I still remember Shane Turner called me. He's like the minor league coordinator at the time, and then he's like, "There's just no room for you, whatever." I'm like, "Like really?" Like and I actually said, "Like dude, I put up a, like a I did decent. You don't you don't see anything. You don't see any future." He's like, "No." I'm like talk and then right after um i asked to see like if you know like uh so they're they're like hey your your information gonna get released that uh, you're released and um you know other teams can pick you up or whatnot and i'm like hey like you got any uh like indie ball contest or whatever he's like um he's like yeah i know i know a few teams and uh and that was it. Like, didn't even give me the team <laughs> names. Or, didn't even, uh, didn't give you I'm any like, contacts. I'm like, hey, like, uh, can you uh, give me some, like, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, nothing. I'm like, sick. That's, again, I left on a pretty sour note. Um, and, and, I, and again, it is what it is. I'm not the only one that's dealt with this. I'm, I I know some of the other guys got fucked way more than me. Um, and at least this happened. Um, 
during the off season. You know, I know some guys, I've been there for six years, like five spring trainings. And when they get released during spring training, it's tough, man. I've, I've seen dudes cry um, in the lockers and shit like that because you're with your boys and it's a lot of emotions. You just got canned and you're, you're, you're basically everything you work for just ended just there, you know? So, and I've, I've dealt with that before and it's just shitty, shitty situation. And, but when you do it on a call, it's just like, fuck, you know, like I don't got to talk to nobody. Um, you know, like I don't got to cry in front of my teammates or nothing. So it's just like, fuck, this fucking sucks. And that's basically it. And then, uh, when I, as soon as I can, I call my uh, best friend. Uh, and then, uh, I'm like, Hey, like, fuck, fuck this shit. Let's get better. And I was training at driveline at the time, which is in Seattle. And we drove to Seattle right then, right that that day, or the, yeah, that day I went down there and started training, um, just because like I I I knew I could get more out of my training. I knew I could get better as a pitcher, and getting released by Giants was not gonna stop me. And so I ended up doing that, and I ended up signing with a indie ball team um, called Winnipeg Gold Eye for a little bit. And home of Reggie that, Abercrombie, American Association legend. Dude, the legend, the fucking legend. I play with them, man. He's Dream awesome guest dude. for this podcast, Reggie Abercrombie. No shit. I'll, I'll let him know. I talked to him from time to time, actually. So, um, I'll definitely let him know. He's, he's a legend and it was, it was, it was great. I had a, had a good time and, and, and indie ball, I just had a different experience because I knew my ticket out of indie ball was to throw gas. And I literally had to blow 97 to 100. And I knew that. And that's how you get signed. So fucking, I tried doing that. Um, I hit 97, you know, which was cool. <laughs> but I also walked like nine dudes, you know, like five innings. And I got canned fucking after five innings or whatever, like a month into the season. I got, I got released. And then, um, yeah, fucking that was my career, man. So you hang it up. You move on to life after organized baseball, after playing professional right. baseball. You start start managing bar doing that thing. My last game in college, and I think I've told this story in this podcast before, I cried for two reasons. One, I'm just a huge crier. It's just a big part of my personality. <laughs> love a good cry. Uh, love a good Pixar movie, just just sobbing it out. Uh, two, I knew it was the last time I was going to play baseball and like really going to compete. Because like there's alumni games, right. there's men's league no, if you're into not, that. But yeah, it's, it's not, not the, the same. same. I knew it was, I knew that organized when organized baseball leaves you behind you are you're pretty much done competing however yeah what you have done and what i you know everyone has seen on social media why i reached out the main reason i reached out you have turned baseball into like a competitive recreational sport kind of in the way a lot of people approach golf mm -hmm. just just right, with more right. smelling salts competing yeah. against yourself like it's like you're out there trying to shoot a low score but it's, mm. you know, how did you, how and why did you bring baseball back into your life in this way when you're training essentially for a game that is not going to come? Like, it's not, you know, you're not, you know, you're not trying to get picked up by the Giants to go throw nope. in the bullpen nope. this year. Right, right, right. How did you bring, like, what was the genesis of this? Why have you been doing this? And because for, for people unfamiliar with Eric's social media, I mean, it is, um, you're just you're trying to throw gas that's what you're trying yeah. to do you're trying to throw gas yeah. and hit long drives which is a mm -hmm. short is a very low distance golfer i admire that <laughs> um yeah the whole thing started with basically uh, i'm sure you went through this too after playing um because we play baseball all of our lives right and that's basically only thing you you that's what your life is 
surrounded by playing it's baseball. It's your identity. Right? You're, that's, that's, I'm that's, a baseball that's, player. You're exactly. And when that's taken away from you, and and there's like the emptiness. I'm sure you could agree with this too. And I'm sure a lot of uh, guys that hung up their crease can feel this too. It doesn't matter if you play like um, slow pitch or whatever, which are, I think that are great, you know, recreational sports. So you can do that. But the, the emptiness that you get after, uh, especially me after playing professional baseball, like it was, it was, it was, it was a lot, you know, like it was like, holy, like, I'm like, like I was pretty miserable in life. Like I was miserable mentally. Um, even though like the only thing that kept me going was because I got him jumped into a bar business. That's something I've never done before. So I feel like in the beginning, I had to like learn, you know, like, and you know that, you know how fucking busy I was. Like, I'm like trying to learn this completely different business and I'm a man, I'm a bar manager. So I need to figure a bunch of shit out, you know, like I need to make it work. And so I was doing that. So I, I was busy, but when that slowly I got used to it or whatever, that emptiness really started to creep in. I was like, you know, what am I doing? You know, like baseball, like, whoa, what, what happened? Like you start regretting like, Oh, why did I do it then? Or whatever. And you just get, you, and I just got tired of that. I just got kind of got tired of it. It's basically what I can say. And one day out of just like, for my sake, for my fucking around, whatever, I went to a local park. I already had a baseball and uh, I had a thing called pocket radar, which is like a, like a portable radar gun. And I went out there, just literally went to a local, like a fucking little league park, man, against, you know, the home plate fence or whatever. I was throwing and I threw 77, you know, and I was like, looked at it and I was like, my arm was hurting bad. I didn't do shit for three years. Um, like I literally did nothing. I was, and my weight, like I was 6'2", like 240, my playing weight. And I got to 290. You know, it's got, I'm obviously this is a different lifestyle, right? Like I'm a bar manager, like I'm not working out, like I'm not forced to work out, you know, I don't have to throw, hit or whatever. And I just got fat as shit. And then uh, I went and did that through 77. And I, I still remember I'm just like so like mad and like, and you know, well, all of us have that competitiveness, like we all have that and that's how we succeeded in baseball. And my competitiveness like kicked in, man. And I'm like, fuck this like i'm not gonna like this is not me you know what i'm saying like so ever since then man i started uh i started training i trained like literally on my own in a small town in canada uh no one around me played baseball or i knew anyone that played baseball and then a bunch of kids and i really wasn't gonna train with them because i'm not trying to train with somebody that's not at my level and i'm not trying to sound like a dick or anything but um that's just the way i like i'm like hey i need to surround myself with like enough drive someone who has with enough drive and there's no one so i'm fine with training myself and i put myself in a situation so that I, I had to get better and my competitiveness i'm very competitive when it comes to that kind of shit and i will compete i don't care if it's by myself or with other people, with tens of people, I don't care, I'll do it, you know, so, and um, yeah, I started training right away, and while while I was doing that, I was posting stuff on social media, just for fun, like, I don't, like, I don't care how many people like it, or see it, or whatever, like, I'm, I'll, I'll do it, I don't care, I'll just go to some local park, I'll throw, and I, I was doing that, and my social media kept getting bigger and bigger, and, and here I am now, you know, <laughs> so is there, like, an end goal, like, do you, do you have, is there somewhere you want to get with with what you're doing? And I'm not saying again, like not like you've made it clear you are not trying to play pro baseball again, right? 
But what when you go out there every day in your training, what's what's the goal? Like where you know where are you taking this? I, I actually get a lot of this question, and and a lot of people ask me, oh, are you like if you hit a hundred or whatever, you know, like are you gonna play again or or like what are you trying to do? Like like, and I get that asked a lot, and I've thought about this too, um, and I don't have. I don't need a reason to do it. And that's where I stand now. It's just like, I enjoy doing it. I enjoy throwing. I love it. I fucking love throwing. Whether I suck or not, I fucking love throwing. I enjoy hitting. Like, I love hitting tanks. I love hitting as, as hard as I can off a tee or whatever. Whatever I can find, I'll do it. I enjoy long drive stuff in golf. Like, I don't care about golf. I'm a terrible golfer. I don't care. But I like hitting things far. So I'm going to do that. And I like lifting heavy shit. And so I'm going to do that. So... So what I'm saying is now I'm at the point now, it's just like, I want to, and this is how I reward myself is by doing the shit that I enjoy doing. And from doing this, I've been doing this about, uh, I've been training on my own and plus now here with other people that are more likely in the pro ball and stuff like that. I've been doing this for a little over two years now, I think. And honestly, man, like I'm having the most fun I've ever had. And I've never liked baseball more than I do now. So it's really not like an end goal or I need to like make it big or I need to fucking do this, that, or any of that bullshit. Like I'm, I am very, very happy with what I'm doing now. And I do it because I enjoy doing it. Fuck what other people say. No one tells me to go lift. No one tells me to go throw. Dude, I could fucking go on vacation right now for two weeks. No one's going to say shit, but that's not me. You know what I'm saying? That for me, to make me happy, I need to go throw, compete, hit, golf, whatever, like try different things. And I like meeting new people. Like I get to do that by doing what I'm doing now. I'm like a content creator type stuff. And I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing, you know, but, but I enjoy doing it. So I will continue doing it, whether, you know, like my, my, you know, content, you know, people like it or whatever. Not like, I don't care. I made a post about this before too. Like, to be honest, like, I don't care. Like, I don't fucking care what you think of me. You know, that's something that is very different from where I, when I was playing baseball, like professionally until now, like, I really don't give a shit. And to be honest, like I'm way happier now. So I'm going to keep doing this. Eric, this is a question I ask everyone on this podcast. Okay. What do you wish you would have known in retrospect before signing? If you could sit down with your, I'll use your word, with your jabroni 21 year old self, you yeah. just signed. You don't know anything about pro ball. What are you telling that kid? I, to, to be honest, I think I'll just tell him to enjoy the ride, man. Like, and, and sometimes a lot of us, especially when you get to a certain level, it um, kind of becomes work, if you know what I'm saying. Like, it's almost like robotic, right? It's like, oh, fuck, I have, I have to get a hit. You know, like, I have to do this. I have to, have to, have to, have to. And I've been there. I've done that. Um, and if I could go back and tell my fucking 20 year old ass, I'm like, Hey, enjoy this fucking ride. You got fucking drafted. You know, that's cool. And your professional baseball sucks, but make the most of it, you know, like, and, and, and just enjoy the whole, and just like learn, enjoy, observe, like the, all the whole emotions. Like I, I, I wish I could tell him that because. Uh, for me, like when I was struggling or when I, I told you when I got drafted, I didn't enjoy it. I almost like didn't sign because I hated it. Like when I got the call to got drafted at 27th round, I was not happy. I was pissed and it shouldn't be like that. You know what I'm saying? I should have enjoyed the, 
the whole situation, the fact that I got drafted, how cool is that? Like, I should have enjoyed it, you know? And, and, and the fact that you're in the pro ball, like, I should have enjoyed it a little more, rather so than I'm being so miserable at times. And, and I was miserable because I took it so serious, right? When you take things really serious, it just, and when it doesn't plan out the way you think, like, you become miserable. And I was letting that affect me. And that's something I wish I could tell to my old self. I'm like, hey, just fuck everybody. Enjoy the ride. Fuck it. You know, so. I've got a quick rapid fire for you, and then I'll let you get out of here. All right. Favorite minor league ballpark? Favorite? Favorite. Uh, to Charleston. Charleston, uh, Yankees, low way. Fucking beautiful field. And uh, great crowd. Fucking, yeah, it was great. Favorite college ballpark? Uh, Florida. I mean, it sucked that we had to play there, but it was great. I was, uh, they do this thing called gator bait. <laughs> and then so every, and I was like one of the hitters or whatever. Every time I come to bed, they're like, like 5,000 people, gator bait. And they do this like a hand thing. You know, I was like, this is cool. You know, <laughs> it was great. Uh, best pitcher you ever faced in an organized game. I'm going to do the caveat because you, you uh, recently faced Bauer in a cage. No, it was Ken Giles by far. I faced Ken Giles in double A. He threw 102 with uh, with a 92 monar slider, and I literally walked in there. I'm like, dude, what the fuck is this? And I came and I like laughed, and then catch a laugh too because he knew it was like like this good video game shit. So Ken Giles by far the best pitcher I ever faced. Best hitter you ever faced on the bump? On the uh probably uh, uh, what's his name for the fucking Braves, man? Um, why can I not think of names today? Um, shortstop. You know what I'm talking about? Fuck. Anderson Simmons? No, 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 no. Oh, uh, Dansby Swanson? Dansby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dansby. I faced him in a short season my first uh, full, uh, half, my first season, really. I faced Dansby Swanson, and he was like the top-round pig from Vandy. Like, he was a dude, and I faced him. Uh, he went uh, one for two against me with a broken bat single, so I'll take that all day. Yeah, for sure. Uh, worst bus ride story, and this could be minor leagues or JUCO. Um, probably Augusta when I was in Low Way. Uh, we went from Augusta to um, fuck where was the Hagerstown? Somewhere really far, it was like twelve hour drive, and then we're coming back actually to Augusta, and it was like miserable drive. It was like so hot and gross, and it's like it was just miserable. And my manager uh, at the time, he was awesome. He's like. We're all stopping at this gas station. We're buying as many beers as we can. I'm like, all right, sick. So we did that. On the way back, uh, we literally drank all the beers. And then we were counting. You know that song? It's like 99 beers. Like, you know, like a song. Like you go from yeah, 99, 99 bottles to, of beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We sang the song three times. <laughs> like all the way from 99 to 1 to, or 0 to 99. Like three times that we're, we're home. <laughs> it's all of our drive. And it was miserable because the next day, like, I, I couldn't even walk. Like, I was fucking, like, I was, I was still drunk when I showed up to the field. That was great. Okay, this is a two-parter. Um, bet, what is a, a, a Korean food that everyone in America needs to try? And have you found a great Korean joint in America? Uh, I haven't really found one yet. And actually, I, I, can, I can make it at home. Like, my mom actually makes, like, bomb Korean food. Like, so I can't, like, it doesn't get any better than that. But I can still cook it. Um, and I've been doing that. Uh, but this Korean barbecue, man, like it's, it's very, I think people know now that, that it's delicious, but you got to get like, yeah, Korean barbecue, man, you can't beat that. Like the, 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 the pork belly, like pork belly is one of my favorites. Like you, you I can crush that all day and like beef rib, like brisket, like just Korean barbecue is fire. 
Um, but you're saying like finding the authentic because like the Korean barbecue yeah, yeah. sauce at my local wings joint is probably not no, what you're talking that's, about. That's what I'm saying. So you got to find like an actual like a Korean barbecue restaurant. But even within those, there's only so many good ones. You know what I'm saying? And, and those fusion ones are not it. Um, now I'm talking like old school Korean barbecue joint, man. If you find one, like you're lucky because that should bomb. Would you rather hit a dinger or throw someone out at second? This is. <laughs> if you said um, rather hit a dinger or strike someone out, I'd re- definitely say hit a dinger. But throwing people out was my favorite thing to do on the field, so I'm gonna pick that. I threw out a lot of people, and that was one of my strengths, and I enjoyed doing it. I also like enjoyed backpicking a lot. Um, I backpick like a shit ton of dudes in pro ball, and every time, dude, I'll pimp the shit out of it. Like I'll start running back to the tank. That was great. This is also a question. The last one I've got for you is also about throwing people out. Who is the mm. drunkest person you've had to throw out of a bar? Oh, I've had, I mean, I've had dudes puke, puke on me. I've had dudes like doing drugs on the patio. I think like, I've done a, I've seen some shit, man. Like in the bathroom, I still remember with like some dude like seeing some crazy shit in the bathroom. I had to literally go in there and kick them out. And then, but um, they had to follow me because I'm literally the biggest one in the bar, you know, but it was so soft. It was like, it was like horrible, you know, it's like, but, and it, but it's part of the job, right? So fuck it. Yeah. We'll save those stories for the, the bar managers podcast. Eric, Sam, thanks so much for joining from Phenom to the farm. Tell the folks again where they can follow you. Appreciate that, man. And uh, yeah, you can follow me at King of Juco on Twitter. Um, ESIM three, four, zero, zero on Instagram and TikTok or TikTok. I don't fuck whatever. YouTube. You can follow me at Eric Sim. Awesome, man. I appreciate you stopping by. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you. And that's it for today's episode from Phenom of the Farm. Huge thanks to Eric Sim for stopping by. If you enjoyed Eric on this podcast, there is a lot more where that came from. Go follow him at King of Juco. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, rate on Apple Podcast, and leave a review. Episodes of From Phenom to the Farm drop every other Tuesday. Also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all your amateur and prospect news. And we'll check back in two weeks with current USF assistant coach and former Florida ace Carson Whitson. <laughs>